Grab out your Bible. It's something to take some notes with uh, this morning as we study God's Word. We are finishing up a series uh, that honestly went about twice as long as I planned for it to. But I had so much fun uh, studying, preparing for this series. And so we just kept it going. So we started it two weeks before Easter, looking at stories surrounding Jesus' march to the cross. Uh, Maybe some stories that don't get touched on, or if they do, they're just kind of skipped over as part of the narrative as a whole, because we're getting to the other ones. And so we looked at a few stories in his march towards the cross, and two weeks out with Zacchaeus, who he would probably never place that close to Calvary. Uh, And then a week out where he goes in and cleanses the temple a second time and has the Passover and all these things happening. And then on Easter, we talked about the thief on the cross. And then last week, we looked at the road to Emmaus, where these two disciples walk with the risen Christ. And don't recognize who he is. They can't see him for who he actually is. And so we looked at that. So one more story uh, in the narrative. And we are way past the road to the cross. Now we're looking at the early church. But one more story out of the book of Acts. And so you can turn there in your Bibles, Acts chapter 9. And I'll kind of set up the story for you. We're going to look at a story of the conversion of a guy named Saul. And so you might, if you've read the New Testament at all, any books in there, you probably have come across the name Paul. And so you know about Paul, right? And so this is the same dude, all right? There's no, no like hidden meaning or anything like that. Saul was his name in the Hebrew. Paul is his name in the Greek, all right? So it's the same guy, same thing ever. No conversion of his name or anything like that. Same name, Saul in the Hebrew, Paul in the Greek. So you can win Jeopardy one day. And so Saul was born in Tarsus. And we're about to see how Saul has a moment in his life where how he reacts to this moment and how he interacts with the risen Christ. So he's born in Tarsus. He's a Jew by birth and he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He called himself the best of the best. And honestly, you look at Paul's resume and Saul's resume, you look at this resume and he is the best of the best and simultaneously the worst of the worst. It's an interesting kind of dynamic in this guy's life. So you look at Saul and you see the best of the best. He's highly educated. And so he had studied divinity and and all ministry, all these things in Jerusalem. So he has season tickets to Jerusalem University football. I don't know what you are, right? This is, he studied under the best rabbi of the day, Gamaliel. He's he's done all these things. He has the pedigree. This is the, the Oxford, Harvard, Yale route. He's as educated as you could possibly ask for him to be. And more than any of that, he's the best of the best. So he's a Pharisee. So he doesn't just have the Ten Commandments to follow like all of you peasants. He's got 613 laws that he has to keep in his life. And when he talks about these laws that he has to keep, Paul himself said, in the law, I was flawless. I was flawed. I kept all of them. There was no flaw you could find. And he was the best of the best, very moral according to the law. And although he was the best of the best, He was also the worst of the worst because he absolutely, with extreme prejudice, hated Christianity. He hated anything to do, despised Christianity. You may remember a story in the book of Acts a little bit earlier than chapter 9 where a man, a young Christian man named Stephen is stoned to death. Paul is the guy, Saul is watching over the coats of the guys who are throwing the rocks. Like, and it says, there's one verse that says he absolutely and entirely approved of everything that was happening. And then after the execution of Stephen, Saul single-handedly masterminds tearing apart the church in Jerusalem. Catching every Christian he can find and throwing them in prison. And with sadistic glee, Saul master, he orchestrates everything to do to tear apart the church in any way he possibly can. To torture them, to capture them, and to kill many of the Christians living in Jerusalem. And so that's where we pick up our story. So here is Saul, chapter 9. Let's dive into verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul is still breathing out murderous threats 
against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So now he's done with Jerusalem. He wants to go to Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now you say, well, who belongs to the way? What is this the way thing? Anybody who belongs to the way. So this is, at this time in history, Christians aren't called Christians. That comes later at Antioch. Right now, they're called either disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ, or people of the way. Coming from when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Paul is it's trying to hunt down these Christians, these followers of Jesus, these followers of the way. And Saul is going now with permission to Damascus to capture any person. In the first verse in here, it says, he's breathing out murderous threats. Now, I want to dwell on that for just a moment. This idea that Saul is breathing out murderous, persecutional threats to people. And I think in the culture you and I live in, Just in our place right here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, just in our traditional culture, we have overused the word persecution till it has no meaning at all, everybody. All right, I'm going to step on some toes today. We have come up with this word and we like to use it because, I don't know, it makes us feel connected to something. We overuse this where it has no meaning. We think somebody wrote something about me on Facebook, Pastor, and it was mean. And they made fun of me being a Christian and six people liked it. Persecution. I knew a guy like this that would come to me. I'm, I'm, I usually never use real stories like that. But I knew somebody who was like, they have, it's persecution. Social media persecution. Somebody, somebody made fun of me. Or Hollywood made a movie. And there was a, they put a Christian in the movie. And they made him look like an idiot. Persecution. We're being persecuted. Oh, we got a little quiet in here. I like this, everybody. Persecute or people come pastor. I was witnessing and I was trying to tell some about Jesus how I'm supposed to do and I was just I was pouring my heart and they told me to eat my tracts. Come on somebody. They just told me persecution. I'm being persecuted. And we have used this word till it has no man. I want you to understand the reality is all over the world even today. Even right now as we sit in this room all over this world like in the days of Saul. There are Christians who are on the run for their faith, tortured and flogged and whipped and lashed, imprisoned and executed for believing and following Jesus. If one person in our church ever got lashed one time, hit with the whip one time for the cause of Christ, that would be our life story. Like I'm the last, I got hit with a lash. Like it was a lash, like it was, it hurt, like that's the lash guy, there he goes, like that's the guy that... And yet in this time of Saul, they're being in prison. You think about this. You pull out your Victory Church app and you're going to like catch up on your one year Bible reading because you're six months behind. Come on, somebody. Or 12 months behind. Anybody like that? And you could be in prison for that. You decide, okay, I'm going I'm to go serve on serve day and, and give food to the hungry in the name of Jesus. And they throw you in jail for that. Or you say, hey, I'm going to roll up to small group because we're going to have some fellowship and read our Bibles and sing some songs together. And yet they throw you in jail and execute you for following Christ. That's the reality that the world, the Christian church was living in. Not only then, but also around the world today. That they live in the way, the people of the way are being persecuted. So you see Paul here, Saul, breathing out these treacherous threats to the early church. Breathing out these threats, orchestrating the execution of all of these followers of Jesus. And so if you lived at the time, this is the guy you would have, you see, Paul, you got to admit, if you are living then, this is probably the last person on earth that you would expect to follow Christ. In fact, some of you probably know some people today that you have the same mentality. If you are you're diplomatic about it, you say it's very unlikely that they would become a Christian. 
It's unlikely that they would follow Jesus. It's unlikely, right? Like he hates Christians. There's no way it could be. And so some of us, we have, we have cleaned up the way we talk about it. But we will say that person, I think it's, it's a very small chance. So I'm going to spend my efforts somewhere else. Or that person, it's just very unlikely, Pastor. I just, I just don't want to talk bad about anybody. But you know, there's just no way. They're just, they're intellectual atheists. And so, you know, the chances that them coming to Christ, or they're, they're a really, you know, good person, but they're just kind of immoral. Or they're just, they're just off the deep end, Pastor. They just, you know, they, if there's something to smoke, they have smoked it. If there's something to do, they have done it. If there's something, they just, no way they would come to Christ. That's what you would have thought about Saul. At this moment. And what's really cool about the gospel and about what, the way that God works is so oftentimes the people that we think are the furthest are oftentimes some of the closest to being converted to followers of Christ. The people that we think on the outside are just too far gone. There may be some of you here today and you're thinking every eye in this church is on me right now. And they're just thinking, how dare that person be in church? The building's going to fall down on their head. They're just going to be. And you think, and you're thinking, sitting there thinking, no, no, if you only knew what's happening on the inside, that God has been drawing and God sent someone to say this. And I just, I've been questioning this and I have some, some questions about God and about faith. And if they only knew what was on the inside, but too oftentimes we judge the outside and we leave it for dead, not knowing that sometimes those who are furthest, often some of the closest to the glory of the gospel of Christ. Verse 3, it says this. As Saul, he nears Damascus on his journey. So he's got the letter. He's going to arrest. He's going to do the things that he's about to kill some Christians is what he's planning on. On his way to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around. And let me tell you about this light for a moment. You read further in Acts, Acts chapter 26. We put it in your notes. Acts 26, you read a little bit further. Saul describes this light. And he says it was brighter than the sun. Like this light shines and you show him, it knocks him down to the ground. This incredible light that flashes on Saul. This incredible moment that he has where in a moment everything changed. And he says the sun shines brighter than this flash of light, brighter than the sun. We were driving in our van one time last year. Uh, my, I remember because my daughter Hava was four at the time and she tells me often how old she is and what time. And so we're in the van, loaded up everybody. And I don't remember where we were going. But we get out here on Florida Boulevard and we stop at the stoplight because contrary to what you people think about me, I do stop at stoplights. All right, everybody. And so we stop at the light and I check for whatever reason, I check the mirror to look at my kids to see which kid is like hitting which child. Right? you understand as a parent that you look at that more than you look at the road. And so but at that moment, I look back at the road and the sun had just cleared the cloud and shines like straight into my eyes. And so my wife and I do that coordinated thing. You know, you don't even say, you just both flip down your sun visor in your car. And I happen to glance back at the mirror and my daughter, Hava, four years old, she's sitting in the seat behind us and she's like this, staring straight at the sun. Like, you know how you see the sun, like the, the light thing? And she's just like squinched up, just like right here, just looking. I'm like, hey, stop that. You know, like, what are you, like, don't, and you can't look at the sun. And in her four-year-old mind, she answers the same way every four-year-old. She says, why not? I'm like, because you'll go blind. The sun will destroy your eye. You want to watch Paw Patrol ever again in your life. You don't look at the right. You don't look at the, like, stop that. I'm not going to have a, you, you will go blind if you look at the sun. And I think I have told her now. And so I start driving again. I look back and now her face is like, I, you have to see, it just scrunched in tears and wailing and sadness. And she's like, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, for it. and she's like, nobody ever told me. And I thought, she's probably right. You know, parents, you do really well with the first kid, right? After that, it's like you're on your own. Like you're just, 
I'm like, I'm sure I told a child not to look at this at some point. You just, truly your brothers. They didn't tell you somebody. They probably told you to look at the sun. And I'm just, I think, just you're on your own. I just, Saul is trying to describe it. He's like, it's brighter than the sun. It, it's bright. This light shines brighter than the sun. And then suddenly he's hit with this light. Verse four, it says he falls to the ground crying out. He falls to the ground and saying, and then a voice says to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? 30 seconds before this moment, he's breathing out threats. He's going to kill Christians and all who follow the way. He's, he is on his way. 30 seconds before. And suddenly in this moment, like this, suddenly now he's showing a little bit of respect to whoever sent the light, right? He watches this. He's, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And everything changes in a moment. In just one moment, we see Saul going around like, whatever, it's, I'm, I'm doing what I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill every Christian. And suddenly, in a moment, God changes Saul's life. And here's the beauty of it. God always initiates salvation. He always, and you look at Saul's life, and you want to jot it down if you're taking notes. First of all, nobody is too far for the salvation and the grace of God. If anybody was, it is Saul. I don't care what kind of life you lived, and I don't care what kind of thing you came out of. Nobody is too far. Nobody is too far for the grace of Jesus in this life. And so Saul is the worst of the worst on his way to kill even more Christians than he's already killed in Jerusalem. And in a moment, God changes his life. And so I don't care what anybody has looked at you and said. I don't care what anybody has judged you for. I don't care what all of those things are in your past. I don't care what that looks like. Nobody is too far for the grace of Jesus. And I would tell you 100%, there are so many people in this room who would tell you the exact same thing. That I was here, but now I'm not. I was this far gone and God saved me. I was brought out of this. Every testimony in this room of how God has brought us out. Nobody is too far. And suddenly the beauty of this is God always initiates something. Jot this down if you're taking notes. God always makes the first move. It may not be as dramatic as in Saul's life. It may not be, but God always, I promise you, there are moments in your life where you say, did you see how maybe this person said something and it started a question inside of you? Or maybe somebody, maybe the first person in forever treated you with love and respect and you realize they're doing it because Christ first loved them. And you're thinking, okay, maybe it's a coincidence, but then this person said something. You know what that is? That's not coincidence. That's God drawing you. That's God working on the inside of you. You say, well, I, I just, I didn't know what this, and maybe it was just, it's God drawing you. That God always makes the first. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He makes the first move. That while we were still enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. Enemies of Christ, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of all that God had for us, He still gave His grace and His Son to die for us. That we were still enemies of God and He died for us. He makes the first move. And then someone said, you know, maybe it's a God is drawing you. God is drawing you. Verse 6, Jesus tells him, now get up. And go into the city. Listen to what Christ tells him. He said, now get up, Saul. Saul who leads the executioner. Saul who calls the shot. Saul who is the greatest of the greatest. Saul who's important of all the gods. Saul who gives the order. Saul, get up. Go in the city and I'll tell you what you should do. It's a humbling moment for Saul. I don't want to dwell on that. But just a moment where he's like, okay, Saul. Get up and go in the city and I'll tell you what you should do. Now watch what he doesn't tell Saul. And honestly, I think sometimes this is kind of how I draw a parallel here. Sometimes we expect that he doesn't tell Saul, okay, Saul, get up and you're about to write two thirds of the New Testament and you are about to preach my name to kings across the world and you are about to be my witness to plant churches all across the known world. It's going to be incredible all the things that happen, Saul. Now get up. Here's what's going to happen. 
And the Bible says that God's word is a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. And I think sometimes we take that verse and we want like the high beams on our car. We want to know how this thing ends from the beginning when God calls us. He calls Saul in the most dramatic way possible. And he's still like, hey, Saul, I got one step for you. Get up, go in the city, and then I'll just tell you what's going to happen. And too often times in our life, we want step 9, 10, 11 before we'll ever say yes to step 1, 2, or 3. And what I have learned from my own life and from the lives of those that I have had an opportunity to spend time with is that God oftentimes never gives us step 9, 10, 11 till we have been obedient to steps 1 through 8. That we do step 1 and he gives us step 2. We do step 2 and he gives us step We are obedient in the moments. He says, Saul, get up, go in the city. And then I'll tell you, think if he had told Saul at that moment, you know, Saul would have done, Saul would have been like, run for us, run. Like, I'm out of here. Some voice telling me I'm going to write two thirds. What new, there is no new, Saul in this moment, he's like, get up, Saul. I got one step for you to take. Go in the city and I'll tell you what's going to happen. God shows you what to do. Be obedient. Here's what I found. That is oftentimes when God seems most silent. When I'm reading his word and I'm asking for something, God, show me. Oftentimes, he seems most silent in the seasons when I've been most disobedient. And I don't mean like in an audible voice or in a way that he, I'm doubting that he loves me or that thing. I'm talking about when you've read, some of you, you realize this. That when I'm reading, I'm understanding, okay, God, you have this for me. God, I'm asking, Lord, show me somebody that I can reach. And God is like, I already gave you somebody. I told you what to do and you didn't do it. And so why are you asking me for somebody new to send you? Why should I send you somebody else if you're not going to take care of the ones I've sent you already? And too many times we're asking for assignments from God. We're called, And I have people that come who want counseling. They're like, Lord, I just want something new. I just want God to show me something. And I'm asking, is, who has God called you to reach that maybe you didn't actually reach? It's quiet in this church today. I like you guys, all right? Too many times we're asking a while back, and I'm just talking, I'm not saying like an audible voice. I'm saying you were like reading God's word and you came across a verse and realized, oh yeah, I'm supposed to forgive this person. This person who hurt me. And I'm reading here that the Bible says I need to forgive them, but I don't really like that. So we're just going to turn the page as quickly as we can. We could just get this. I don't like that one. Lord, send somebody. And God's like, you didn't do what I asked you to. You're reading, you think, okay, I'm supposed to reconcile. I'm supposed to forgive and I'm supposed to do this thing. I'm supposed to give to somebody who's in need. And we're like, mm, I don't want to, mm, it's sticky. It's just too, like, I'm just going to, now, oh Lord, show me on this page. Show me what I should do. And God's like, you didn't do why, why You weren't faithful in what I gave you to begin with. One step. God leads us one step at a time. Maybe he's waiting for you to do the last thing he showed you to do before he ever speaks. I'm just going to leave that one right there. Verse 7. The men traveling with Saul. So Saul's got the light. Saul gets knocked to the ground. The men traveling, they see the light. But they didn't see anybody. Stood there speechless. Like this is just the given of the story, right? Like, this is just a dumb moment of <laughs> Lucas right here. Like, I, just, I don't understand. Of course, they. If I am there, I see Saul knocked. They see the light. They hear the voice, and they see nobody. And Saul's over here, like talking to the voice. I'm like, you guys figure that out, and then let me know when you're done, right? Like that's just. I don't know. That was funny to me. I don't care if it's funny to you. They stand there speechless. Heard the sound. Didn't see. Verse eight. Saul gets up from the ground. But when he opens his eyes, he could see, what is, read it with me, he could see nothing. He opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. In three days, he is blind, not eating or drinking anything. Here we have a guy who could see physically one moment and the next he is blind. And yet for the first time, maybe in his life, he started to see spiritually. God knocks out his eyes from seeing physically. And now for the first time, he's starting to see spiritually. And I think it's amazing that the same guy who experiences this right now 
Can't see for three days, doesn't eat, doesn't drink, can't see, but beginning to see. The same guy is the same one who pens later, I walk by faith and not by sight. That I would much rather see spiritually than ever see in the physical. And so he's beginning to say, Lord, I don't, I, I can't imagine what Saul saw. We read a little later that maybe God is starting to talk to him, show him a vision, starting to show him some things that he wants him to do. But he is sitting in the dark in the physical. And yet in the spiritual, he's beginning finally to see. And so maybe, God, I don't really understand what you're doing. I don't know how I do all those things if I am blind, but I believe you are leading me and I'll obey and I'll wait for you to tell me what to do. And then the Bible says that finally he gives him a vision about what's about to happen because God does this weird thing in this story. He does it a lot in the Bible and I think it's easy to see it here, but refuse to see it in our own lives. And that is God, he starts to make another move at the same time that he's doing this with Saul. And it's almost like chess. I was trying to find an analogy. It's almost like if you've ever played the game of chess or seen it played, where they start to make moves. Have you ever seen it played well? <clears throat> and I used, to, I used to think I was good at chess until I played somebody who was actually good at chess. Come on, somebody like this. You want to be humble in your life. <clears throat> you find somebody who is good at that thing you thought you were good at. And if you've ever seen a game played, or we have an app at home that we like to use, it shows you the game of the grandmasters. that will show you how they play and the moves they make. If you watch this, you will think they are lunatics. Because they will make moves that have no sense to them. But because they see eight to ten steps ahead, they're able to make that move. Well, I'm still staring at the bishop because I think the focus should be there. That'll preach all by itself. Come on, somebody. But it just... And so in this story, God starts to make another move. He starts to... We think he's focused on Saul. He's doing all of this. And then over on this other side of the board, he starts to move this unrelated pawn. And starts to... Because he can see steps that we don't see. And part of being obedient is beginning to trust that, God, you can't see a little bit further ahead, that you know the end of the game before the beginning, and so I'm going to trust you in the moves you called me to make. But we don't like that. That gets a little bit sticky. We, we want to see every move. We want to know the ending. And God is saying, I am so much better at this game than you are. And yet in our pride, sometimes we won't make the move. But God starts to move ahead. Back to our story. We've got this strategy going over here, and God starts to pick up this pawn over here. And we start to say, wait a minute, God, I thought you were, I don't see how it is. And God starts to do, and God says, hang on, I see the whole thing from the beginning. Now, a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. So there's this other guy where Saul is headed, where Saul has just been led by the hand, blind, sitting in a house. There's another disciple of Jesus in this city named Ananias. The Lord calls to him in a vision and says, Ananias. And he replies, here I am, Lord, which tells us a couple of things. The response Ananias has to the voice of the Lord speaking to him Tells us, first of all, it tells us that he has heard the voice of the Lord before. That he responds to this. Like, here I am, Lord. Because if he hadn't, he'd been like, Velma, get in here. The couch is talking, right? Like, he'd just be like, this is, this. he's heard the voice of God before. Second thing is, the way he responds is almost this, here I am, Lord. Your servant is, listen, I'm ready, Lord. I'm up to date on the assignment you have given me. Like, I have done, I'm ready to do what you were called me to do. You think about this from Samuel from the Old Testament, where he cries out, Lord, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Ananias at this moment, he's here I am, Lord. I, here I, I'm ready, Lord. Speak. I, I'm ready to do what you're called. I'm in the ready position. I played baseball in high school. You know the quickest way to get yourself pulled out of a game by the coach? We didn't actually have subs in high school. We didn't have no players. So you want the quickest way for the coach to shout obscenities at you in the outfield? Come on, somebody. Is you are not in a ready position when the pitcher's on the mound. You're just kind of resting on the balls of your feet, just kind of looking at the clouds. You're just kind of, kind of looking, checking out, you know, talking to people standing outside the fence. You just have, you want the quickest way 
to be put on the toes. Do not play list. You want the quickie is don't be in a ready because this is not the ready position. Right? You are you are in the ready position, focused, ready for if that ball comes your way. And the nice answer is here I am, Lord. Ready because I've done what you called me. I'm ready to do. What do you want me to do? In verse 11, I love this story. I, this is my favorite part of the story. Verse 11, he says, great, I'm glad you're ready. And I have a mission for you. It's going to be great. And I was like, yes. And God's like, it's amazing. And he's like, yes. And he's like, what is it, Lord? Verse 11, he says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. How cute, everybody. He is praying. How sweet. Saul is praying. I, I, this is my holy imagination, all right? I'm just imagining. God, like, sneaks Saul's name in here. He's like, go in and I to the house, right? Go, and there's this guy. We'll call him Saul. He's just Saul, you know, just this, this guy is waiting, and he's from Tarsus. And you might not know him, but he's from Tarsus. And he's praying. Come on, he's praying, Ananias. And Ananias does what I would imagine a lamb would do if you gave him directions to the butcher. Like, he just... Like this, he's like, I was like, wait, back here, back, back here. And he begins, he, he prays back. You ever pray a prayer like this? Like, oh Lord, let me kindly tell you why this is the bad plan. Like, let me just, let me just tell you, this is not good. This is, and so Ananias prays back in this moment. Verse 13, he says, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I heard you right. Lord, I don't know if you follow this on Twitter, but this guy hates us. In fact, Lord, I, I do follow this on Twitter, and he is coming to kill all of us. <laughs> Lord, you are, this is wrong, oh Lord, you have gotten it wrong. Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man, and the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Remember them, O oh Lord? And then watch in the next, he says, that he has come here with authority to arrest all who call on your name. Am I getting it straight? Like, Lord, maybe I didn't hear it, and God is like, yeah, I'm going to ask you to make a move that doesn't make sense to you. And honestly, probably in Ananias' mind, this is a move that is very, very costly. Because there's a good chance he's about to walk into the home of the person who has killed the most Christians to date. The person who is orchestrating all these things, the executioner. And God is saying, yeah, I need you to make this move. And it may not make sense to you, but I promise it's making sense. I am at work in all things. I am moving the pieces. I have this work. And see, something I've found in my own life and especially in the life of our church is that so often time we talk about we want to move you from where you are to where God wants you to be. You want to understand something. The distance between where I am and where God wants me to be is so often a painful decision that I am unwilling to make. And oftentimes, I have found this in so many lives, the distance between where you are and where God wants you to be is usually a choice we are unwilling to make. A decision God has called us to, a thing that we know from his word is how we should live. Some choice we need to make that oftentimes is very painful and very difficult for us. But it is the difference between being where we are and where God wants us to be. He says, Ananias, I want you to walk straight into the house of the butcher. And I have a plan. And Ananias has a moment here. He has to decide. You read in the Bible when God talks to the prophets and gives them, they have a moment where they get to decide, well, am I going to run like Jonah? I'm going to, I'm going to step into this thing. Ananias has this moment. God's like, no, go. Go. Here's what I'm calling you to do. It may be painful, but you do it. It may seem insignificant, but you do it. It may cost you something, but you do it. We have to learn. Jot it down if you're taking notes. We have to learn to obey him. To stay willing to be an obedient, a ready position. Verse 15, the Lord says to Ananias, go. This man saw... 
is my chosen instrument. Yes, about the, like, the guy who kills all the Christians is absolutely it's his chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the people of Israel. Go ahead. And I know it doesn't make sense. I know you're probably asking, what do you mean chosen? The guy who's been murdering Christians is God's chosen instrument. Absolutely. Because God will choose to use the most unlikely. He will choose to use those that others overlook. I'm telling you right now, God is going to speak to some of you. And he's going to choose you and use you for his glory. Because John, if you're taking notes, God is the one who gets to choose. And honestly, I would say probably the majority of us would praise God that he is. That he's the one who gets to choose those. That, and others may look at you and say, you're not good enough. You don't know enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not this, you're not, whatever it is. You're not whatever thing enough. And you're thinking, yeah, I just, I don't know enough. Or I'm not, I'm not schooled enough. Or I don't, I don't go this. I don't talk well. I don't, I, whatever it is. And you might be thinking, I, I'm not enough of this. And you're thinking, listen to me. God doesn't just call those who are prepped and ready and prepared. God prepares those that he calls. That he has a plan for your life. And I don't care how unlikely you think it is. But God has a purpose for you. That he has called you to something. That God has a purpose for your life. And so here is Ananias listening. And he's, he's thinking. I don't think. I don't know Lord. I don't know. And God is calling. He said my chosen instrument Saul. And some of you are thinking. There's no way God could use me. And I want to stay on this for just a moment. Because I think too often times we discount ourselves in place of God. I think we just kind of follow, yeah, God is the one who gets to choose. God is the one who gets to choose. We're not the, and so we discount ourselves. We take ourselves out of his purpose already. We think, okay, I could never be used like that. And God raises someone else up. But God is calling and he has a purpose for you. That God has a plan for your life to use you for his kingdom. There's some of you, you're not even walking with Christ right now. And God has a moment for you that he's going to wake you up and draw you to himself. And he's going to use you for his kingdom and his glory. I promise you. And you don't see it. And you're just, you're just kind of floating along thinking, I'm doing my own thing. And God has purpose. You are his chosen instrument. He has an Ananias to step into your life. There are some of you that you used to walk closely with God. And you used to say, yeah, I used to sense the promptings when I read God's word. I used to walk by faith and not by sight. I, God said, do this, and bam, I would do it. And God said, do that, and I would do it. And you would do it. And somewhere along the way, you stopped. And I don't know what it was, but somewhere along the way, you were in the word 10 years ago, and the light would guide you, and God's word would prompt you, and you were, you were walking, guiding step by step by faith and not by sight, and you had God's word, you were in his word. And somewhere along the way, you stopped. It's like, have you ever had a room... Where the light switch was on the wrong side of the room. And so you had to like, when you turned it off, you had to walk back through the darkness to get out of the room. Anybody ever had just wired up the wrong way? Maybe you were the one who wired it the wrong way. Come on, somebody. You just, you chose wrong. I don't know if you know this. Our auditorium is like that. We have the light switch on the back wall. And so what we will do, what we... <laughs> who wired that? I'm going to actually call the person who chose, who decided for the light switch to be there. And we're going to publicly show. It was me, everybody. All right. It was me. <laughs> But we will, what we will do as staff throughout the week is oftentimes we will come in at that door and we will try to memorize where all of the chairs are. And then we will cut the light and we will try to make it to these double doors up here, everybody. You want to know how painful it is to hit a chair in here in the dark. Come on. So it is. It is the most, and only G-rated words are said. I'll just give you that right. Only the thing. It is the most painful moment in existence. And we are trying to navigate. Some of you 20 years ago were so deep in the word. You had the lamp to your feet and the light to your path. And you decided, oh, I got the room memorized without the lamp. 
And you've been wondering for 20 years why you can't navigate this thing. That'll preach all by itself. Come on, so that's just free. Right? You are one. You were so. You were in the word. You were thinking, I, I know everything. It's got. I see the light. I've got all this stuff. And you're trying to navigate twenty years without the light on. You are hitting every chair on the way. Come on, come on. So you are hitting every chair on your way, getting where you're trying to go, thinking, Why can't I see? Why can't I navigate this thing? You used to see, but you don't see anymore. And I make light, but it is a tragic thing in the life of Belit. We used to be in His word, but now we don't see anymore. Listen to me, if you're in that place today, verse 17 and 18, these verses are for you. 17, it says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road. As you were coming, has sent me so you may see again, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, instantly, Saul's life changed. And immediately it says something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. I want you to hear this and I want you to believe it. Many of you, I'm believing God has sent me today so that you can see again. Just to wake you up to the word of God and what God is calling you to do. Many of you, you say, oh, I've fallen back or I've, I've laid. This is your moment to see again. More than physically, I don't care about that. I care about you seeing spiritually. That God would open your eyes again to see spiritually what he is calling. I believe by faith scales will fall from your eyes in the spirit. That you'll be able to see again. That you say it one more time. I walk by faith and not by sight. That I believe in what God is calling. And all of a sudden you wake up. Some of you in this moment you're saying. I, I, I know I'm not walking by faith. But I want to again. You want to see again. In this moment everything can change. In this moment it could change. And then all of a sudden you wake up to it. And you start to see God at work. Or some of you say, well, I'm far from God right now, but you're starting to see him. All of a sudden you're following a little bit or God is drawing you a little bit. And then suddenly he picks up somebody on the other side of the board and you start to see, okay, yeah, God, you are at work. Or your eight and nine moves in and you're starting to finally see, okay, maybe you have purpose in this, God. Maybe there's a reason for this, God. Maybe whatever it is, you're starting to wake up to that. And God said, one step, he's leading you one step at a time. And we just have that faith to believe, yeah, God, you know the end of the game before the beginning. So my response is yes lord here i am some of you you used to see but you don't really see anymore believing that god would open your eyes right now i'm believing i tell you it is time for you to see again it's time for you to, i don't know the season that you walk through and i don't know the things that you've gone i don't know what caused it but i am saying it's time to see again it's time to see again god that's your prayer today would you give me eyes lord to see that you still have purpose and you still have a plan and you are still, you are still doing God and it may be painful and it may cost and whatever it is, Lord, but I want eyes to see God. Would you say, and your response to that would be, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. That our response, when God calls us, when we see, when he starts to move us one step at a time, our response is here. I am Lord. I'm ready Would you bow your heads as we pray today. Those of you just praying that together. God, we ask in this time, Lord, we ask right now, God, that you would help us to be able to follow you more clearly. God, that as we read your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, I ask, Lord, that we as believers would begin to hear your voice, God, that we would follow. Not just hear the step you want us to take, but give us the courage to make it. And Father, I pray that we would be like Ananias. We would say, yes, Lord, give us the courage to walk by faith and not by sight. And listen to me, church, so many of us, we want to be Paul, the great world changer, Saul, the one who changes the world and does these big visible acts and things. But too often times, what we need to be praying for is to be like Ananias in a ready position saying, yes, Lord, here I am. 
obedient, ready to obey God. I pray right now, Lord, make us like Ananias. And then when Saul, when those scales fell from his eyes that he could see again, God, I pray the spiritual scales would fall from us. And even more than seeing physically, God, we could see spiritually. Teach us, God, to walk by faith and not by sight. As you keep praying today, church, if you're a believer, just keep praying right now. Some of you are here today. You are seeing the story of Jesus maybe in a different way. Jesus, the perfect son of God. Jesus, who died on a cross, became one of us, lived a perfect life and died on a cross to redeem us from our sin. The Bible says he didn't stay dead. No, it says he rose again three days later that anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. You want to know the reason that Saul is far gone as he was? You want the reason that he could be called and saved? The reason that he could be redeemed? You want the reason that you can be saved is because of Jesus. Right now he is drawing you. Right now that God, through his infinite grace and through his Holy Spirit, he is drawing you. And some of you, you say, other people would look at me and think I'm too far gone. And other people would write me off. And other people would look at the outside and say, there's no way that person could be a follower of Jesus. But you're saying on the inside, I've seen God at work drawing me. I don't I thought it was coincidence. And I thought that person that invited me to that thing or that person who talked to me or that person who said something about Christ, that thing or that Bible or whatever it was. And you begin to think it was just coincidence. Listen to me. That is God drawing you. That he always makes the first move that he sent his son to die for you. That he wants you. That he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. As you say, okay, well then what does God want? Listen to me. You know what he doesn't want? He doesn't want just a part of you. He doesn't want your like quick church decision and then you go live the life that you want to live and do the things you want. No, no. Jesus wants all of you. That right now you have a moment where you can make a decision to follow him. To repent of your sins. To become a follower of Jesus. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to come to some separate. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I'm not saying come to the front or raise your hand. Right now I'm giving you an opportunity to decide in your own heart. Do you want to follow Jesus? And I promise you. He has promised to make you brand new. To redeem you from your life of sin. To change your life completely. And to assure you of eternal salvation. That's what he has promised. And so right now, if you say, that's me, I want to pray that prayer. Right now, if you say, that's me, I want to make that decision. Listen to me, it would be our honor as a church to pray with you. And then it would be our honor as a church to baptize you. This is a moment that you have to make this decision. If you say, I want to make this choice right now, pray this prayer with us. And come on, church, we're going to pray with them. Nobody prays alone. But if that's you, say this prayer, say, Jesus forgive me of all of my sin I repent I believe you died on a cross I believe you rose again and I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name and all God's church said amen and amen come on church let's celebrate what God has done